Your art was the prettiest art of all the art. We may declare without boasting that the first exhibition of the Italian Futurist painting recently held in Paris and now brought to London is the most important exhibition of Italian painting which has hitherto been offered to the judgment of Europe. For we are young and our art is violently revolutionary. What we have attempted and accomplished while attracting around us a large number of skillful imitators and many plagiarists without talent has placed us at the head of the European movement in painting by a road different from yet in a way parallel with that followed by the post-impressionist synthesis and Cubist of France. Blah, blah, blah. That was a young, uh, that was a couple of young futurists writing uh, about Italian futurism. Welcome to Magic Camp. This is Ben Anderson with me. I'm Paul Anderson. He's Paul Anderson. This is a mm-hmm. podcast for anyone who is interested in art and power and who also has a little extra time after school. How's it going, Paul? It's going pretty well. Um, I'm one week into my class in which I'm teaching John Berger's Ways of Seeing and teaching try to teach uh, college freshmen and sophomores how to write it and look at art. Um, and... I'm realizing it's a little bit more difficult than I expected it to be, but um, I'm excited about it. And it also doesn't um, exactly help that we're doing it over Zoom, but it does certainly um, apply and uh, illuminate some of Berger's points about reproduction a little bit more intensely, which is interesting. Yeah. Is it hard because there's not that much good writing about art or accessible? Uh, that's that's part of it for sure. Um, and it's hard for reasons that I don't really have time to get into just relating to the nature of, you know, what you're supposed to teach in a, in a class like this and how I'm kind of trying to straddle a line there. Right. right. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Well, that's cool. And, um, you know, that's part of why we're camping today. That's why we brought all of our young campers here to be with us. Although, I'm realizing we've gone pretty heavy on the camping side of the metaphor and not very much on the magic That's a good point. side of it, so just noodle on that. But um, last time we talked about Garavaggio, and uh, mm-hmm. I thought uh, in light of that, we were talking a little bit about Dada uh, next, but I thought, actually, let's go to the futurists, because uh, specifically the Italian futurists, and stay on this Italy theme. Uh, nice. And see what path, uh, yeah, Italian art was going in, uh, coming into the 20th century. Paul, Paul's a bit of an Italiophile, right, Paul? Just a little bit. Um, yeah, he's all- I do enjoy a nice espresso. Oh, yeah. And he's always telling me, it, Ben, it's pronounced espresso. Mm-hmm. Yep, and he's always saying, pour me some vino. Right. Oh, this vintage is so bene things like that Mm -hmm. talks with his hands he's always praying to saint francis to you know bless my goldfish help me on the with my class that sort of thing getting loaded on limoncello and uh and um you know what also liking fascism a little bit that's true that's true um you should see the the 
the portraits that are scattered around Italy still, or the, I'm sorry, the murals that are uh, of Mussolini and other fascists, they're actually they're actually pretty beautiful. Hmm. Uh, that's interesting. I, and I was going to ask if um, in all your viewings across across Italy, have you seen much futurism around? No, I'm. Uh, I hate to say I'm. I'm pretty pretty new to this. I don't know much about the futurists at all. Um, so you're going to be teaching me teaching me quite a bit here. Well, you can. I've I've got some images scattered around that we'll mention. And the first one I've got here is a sculpture by Umberto Bacchioni. And um, he's definitely the, one of the most foremost visual artists, um, painters. I actually think this sculpture is really effective in the way some of the paintings are. Um, mm. It's a good place to start. But before we get into that little Instagram art. Oh, yeah. Can you describe this one? Uh, first Studio wanna... vibes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I just want to mention that both of these I'm going to show you are, were sponsored posts. These came through my feed. Somebody paid to put these in front of me. And so this, oh can God. you describe this one? I mean, I, I don't know what to make of this, but <laughs> it's it's definitely the logo for the Masters Golf Tournament, but it's it's done in a kind of like chunky Cezanne, uh, kind of like cartoonish um, style. And I don't know if they're, it's supposed to be like a, well, read, Ironic? read on painted using only studio vibes painted using only putter grips. <laughs> okay. Well that makes sense. That's, that's not easy. Really cool. Prop props to this guy. Seriously. That's that changes it. completely. Um, this guy's in for a lawsuit for sure. Um, oh yeah. Because he is actually going around trying to sell this. It's 40 by 40. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why? Yeah. Okay. And just one more. Okay, this is going to take a little bit to process. Can you tell what you're looking at? I'm looking at... Okay. Oh. <laughs> okay, so I haven't deciphered it completely, but I can tell that it's trying to say that people who drive Dodge trucks are pussies <laughs> and um, Ford's... Uh, are you know also pussy somehow, but basically they're representing that. They're looking at how the logos of those different truck companies uh, resemble female anatomy, whereas Chevy looks like a dick. So that means it's it's the no, most manly of all. You're of them. There. Am I wrong about this? So okay. it's it's just drawings of these truck logos, which mm -hmm. first of all another copyright infringement, uh, and it's saying Dodge looks like a. a anatomy of a uterus drawing uh -huh. uh, Chevy is a, a, a pad like a Tampax pad right right and then oh, okay. Ford the Chevy. you get to Ford and it just says absolutely perfect so it's okay so this is pro Ford pro Ford it is uh, titled that's two titles I guess uh, rolling coal and an absolute oh it's from a drawing series called absolutely perfect parentheses Ford 8 by 8 charcoal on paper um oh where did it say this i maybe didn't get it but this is drawn with like uh exhaust smoke <laughs> distilled exhaust smoke something like that oh, pretty cool gosh. but i i wanted to include this gentleman because he's a futurist and you'll see what i mean in, in just tell me more <clears throat> you'll see all right so let's get into it um 
Welcome to Italian Futurism. Uh, like I said, Futurism was a movement uh, that took place especially in Italy, northern Italy, originating in Milan. There were other Futurist movements, especially in Russia, but we're definitely talking today just about the Italian Futurists, and they were the main ones. Uh, and it was a social, literary, uh, lots of other things, but visual arts movement starting just before World War One, like 1910-ish, and then thriving, is, well, not thriving, but um, carrying on strongly, I guess, in the interwar period. Um, and it's about future modernity, speed, machine, the city, cars, rolling coal, planes, etc. And, and we'll get into cool. that. Um, and, and it rejects tradition, the past, stasis. Um, so it styles itself as very avant-garde and revolutionary. Um, Mm-hmm. And uh, and also had a, some pretty u- unique or distinct formal um, formal principles that it brought into its you know visuals, um, to, like aside from the ideology or the content, um, and so I would say a unique, somewhat unique approach to representation and perception. So through a set of technical and aesthetic prescriptions. Um, and then has a very strong express, like explicit political, social ideology. Um, and a, a lot of the futurists were uh, kind of proto-fascists, you could say, in their ideology. We'll get into that, or you can definitely see why they were so enthusiastic about both wars and, um, and about joining up with the fascist party. And, and literally mo- many of them were members of the party in the interwar period. Um, don't completely trip over the fascism stuff yet because it is so complicated and we really aren't going to be able to like make sense of that. But there's no, there's no debate about it. Most of them were members. Um, what we could debate is like, again, uh, we're going to be talking about a painting and how much can we say this painting <coughs> is fascist. Uh, just in the same way of how can you really say like this this painting is revolutionary or uh, progressive. Um, so, well, and also you know, we, for us looking back at that time, who's to say? Like these guys, they could have done, they could have been fascists. What's to say that you wouldn't have been a fascist? Absolutely, you know? and. Uh, one one major theme I'd like to point out is they were all like in their twenties for the most part, and it's uh, that's so interesting. Yeah, this is a very universal phenomenon of young men in their mid and later twenties just being really headstrong assholes who are, are looking for a hill to die on and um, yeah, a, a crusade to die in. And so whether that's whether that's World War One or World War Two, or joining the Caliphate, or going off in uh, evangelizing people, whatever it is, mo- most most young men are ready to do some really stupid things that they're going to be ashamed of in about five or ten years. Um, just there's just a major hole in that part of the brain at that time, at that time of male development. Mm-hmm. Um, we can say more about that, <clears throat> but. Um, just a bit of context here. Tell me, Paul, if I'm missing anything or you disagree. But um, talking about Italy at this time, 
we think of Caravaggio and the Renaissance and all the cultural heritage that Italy contained, which is all absolutely true. And Italians were proud of that and very cognizant of that. But they're still at this point a young nation state mm-hmm. in modern terms. They're only unified in 1861 and we're still largely pre-industrial. I mean, beginning to and sort of right. quickly industrializing in the north, but still way, way behind Europe or France. And so we're actually kind of on par with Russia in terms of um, their perception in Europe of being kind of a backwater. Um, mm. And sorry, sorry if that stings, but um, I think it's... No, it's, that makes sense. Yeah, especially that especially stung for Italians at that time because of their immense pride in their legitimate cultural cachet and the fact that so much of European culture was born in Italy. Um, and so I think there was, to pathologize the whole country for a second, um, there was, you know, this kind of wounded ego scenario that so often leads for sure. to uh, belligerence of a once great power who feels humiliated or degraded um, amongst their peers. And so I was looking for an opportunity to, to prove themselves. That's, you know, and that's kind of context for the war in general. But um, in particular, like these futurists, uh, all the things they're talking about and hailing in terms of progress and modernity, it's really important to point out that all the images you see, cityscapes and technology scapes, um, were extremely un-Italian. This, nothing looked like this right. around them. Everything looked traditional and picturesque and the things we associate as wonderful, you know, about Rome or Italy. Um, uh, everything that, all the aesthetics that they were proclaiming were very alien and um, definitely the underdog. So um, keep that in mind. Uh, but that's, that's kind of the background. And um, so it's pretty nice here. We'll be talking about a movement. So there's a couple key players, like we're talking about a group of people and we're talking about a period of history where artists wrote a lot and did manifestos and um, we don't have to speculate quite as much because they, they, they were pretty explicit. And particularly um, the leader, the founder of the Futurist was Filippo Marinetti. He was a poet. Have you heard of him, Paul, on, on the poetry, no. poetry side? Um, is it Marinetti or Martinetti? I think it's uh, Marinetti. Well, let me see here. Based on the way you spelled it, it's Marinetti. It is Marinetti. Okay. Um, so Italian brother, uh, he was actually born in Alexandria, Egypt. And you may be thinking, oh, not so Italian. But in fact, it's kind of quintessential of the scenario we're talking about that his Italian parents, his dad was a lawyer, his mom was a literary professor, kind of upper class, new aristocracy sort of people. Um, were there in, this wasn't an Italian, explicitly Italian colony at the time, but kind of in this colonial outpost area, um, advising companies on how to take part in the liberalization, modernization of Egypt. Um, Mm. So imagine like Pete Buttigieg uh, in Afghanistan or something, you know, he's there uh, advising companies on how to, yeah, uh, capitalize on on uh, newly liberalized 
oil fields or something like that. Um, so cool. kind of quintessential of Italy at this time of we're behind in the empire, colonial empire game. We want to be a great power. We want to get into this whole colonial thing and scoop up more territories, more resources. And uh, so, yeah, Marinetti, he was there from the beginning. Um, but he published the Manifesto of Futurism in 1909 from Milan. Uh, mm-hmm. And there became the leader of the futurists. So, like I said, <clears throat> I think this is kind of a fun period because you get to read Manifesto. So I'm just going to read a bunch um, from the Foundation and Manifesto Futurism. Uh, and he, this is broken into three parts. There's this story about a car and then declarations and then kind of a broader critique of Italy. Um, so interrupt me whenever you want. <clears throat> we had been up all night, my friends and I, under the oriental lamps with their pierced copper domes starred like our souls for from for from them to burst the trapped lighting of an electric heart. We had tramped out at length on luxurious carpets from the east, our, inher- our inherited sloth disrupting beyond the extremes of logic and blackening much paper with frenzied writing. So he, he goes into this story of him and his friends are out on the town, up all night, coked out of their minds, or at least drunk as hell, and just, you know, scribbling manifestos in defining what they will be to Italy. Um, And then he goes into this story about a car. Let's go, I said. Let's go, friends. Let's go out. Mythology and mystic ideal are finally overcome. We are about to witness the birth of the centaur, and soon we shall see the first angels fly. The doors of life must be shaken to test the hinges and bolts. Let's take off. Behold, the very first dawn on earth. There is nothing equal in splendor to the... Uh, not that part, sorry. We went up to three snorting beasts to pat lovingly their torrid breasts. I stretched out on my machine like a corpse on a bear. But I revived at once under the steering wheel, a guillotine blade that menaced my stomach. The furious sweep of madness took us out of ourselves and hurled us through streets as rough and deep as steam stream beds. Here and there, a sick lamp in the window taught us to mistrust the fallacious mathematics of our wasted eyes. I cried, the scent, the scent is enough for the beasts. And we, like young lions, pursued death with his black pelt, spotted with pale crosses streaking across the violet sky, so alive and so vibrant. Um, I'll pause there. How, how are you digging this? Um, I go back and forth from finding it completely incomprehensible to occasionally um striking um i i you got to help me out here i'm not really sure what's going on what's going on is he's out with his friends driving drunk around the land that's kind of the right gist of it and you know he's reading in this existential uh outburst into it um retrospectively but uh sure and i i guess i just mean i don't i don't understand why he's doing that so great question um this is uh, sort of like key to their content, key to their ideology is this technophilia and love and worship for the new and the fast. And uh, cars are a big part of that, a perfect symbol for what freedom uh, and transcendence modernity is bringing. And so he's kind of describing this spiritual experience of speed. Um, mm. So first of all, I'd like to say they were car guys. Which do you like? How do you feel about car guys? Oh man, I love car guys. Uh, I 
consider myself a car guy. So anything, any criticism you have, I, I suggest you reserve it for another episode. Okay. Um, no, uh, you know, I, I'm we've a, all got a little car guy in us. I wasn't going to, yeah, I wasn't going to criticize you cause you have a really cool, um, Volkswagen golf that's like dropped like an, <laughs> an inch off the ground and you ripped out yep. the muffler, uh, with a hacksaw. Um, right. And yep. no, that's cool. Don't get me wrong. I'm thinking that's, more, that's a different thing. Yeah. I'm thinking more about like, uh, suburban boomers with gout foot who drive $90,000 lifted trucks to right. their state farm job. Um, right. But they need it because they go to Home Depot once a year to buy like a single two by four. <laughs> uh huh. So we have the futurists to think about that. And by the way, I'm not that down on the futurists, but uh, uh, I'm I'm just trying to like tease out the layers here of of if we're looking at an, a sort of ironic embrace of these things uh, that that much of the fascism that we recognize today is tinged with a level of irony that I think I'm expecting to see here, but I'm not yet. So maybe you can help me with that. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't pick up too much irony in these guys, but well, that that's all I'm not expecting there to be. I just, I guess that just helps clarify if I should you may, look for that. It's a good question though. Um, so he wraps up this section. Um, I had hardly spoken these words when suddenly I spun around with a drunken lurch like a dog trying to bite his tail, and there all at once, coming towards me, were two cyclists. I stopped short, and in disgusting and disgusting, was hurled, wheels into the air, into a ditch. Oh, maternal ditch. Almost to the top with muddy water. Fair factory drainage, <laughs> drainage ditch. I avidly savored your nourishing muck, remembering the holy black breast of my Sudanese nurse. When I got out from under the upturned car, torn, filthy, and stinking, I felt the red-hot iron of joy pass over my heart. So he crashed his car, which is, this actually happened. There's pictures in the newspaper. Um, but he's reading this event, you know, as kind of his birth into the future. Um, mm. And, like, the, the mug from this factory drainage ditch is, like, umbilical fluid. Um, so yeah, he kind of opens with all with that storytelling and then goes into the bullet points. Um, and these will help a little bit. Uh, I'm just picking a, a few out here. We intend to glorify the love of danger, the custom of energy, the strength of daring. And let me point out, he's a poet. So this isn't quite yet painting yet or visual art. Um, two of the essential elements of our po- poetry will be courage, audacity, and revolt. Literature having up till now glorified immobility, ecstasy, and slumber, we wish to exalt the aggressive movement, the feverish insomnia, running, the perilous leap, the cuff, and the blow. Hmm. Any thoughts? That's dope. Uh, I mean, knowing what I already know about what ideology embraces makes it even more interesting um, because it, it speaks to the kind of like the impulse being similar, whether it's, you know, socialism or fascism. Um, but that third one there of literature being up to this point being, you know, based around immobility and ecstasy is like, yeah, that's true to some extent. And, um, that's, that's a really compelling, really compelling creed. I guess that element of it is to just to cut that shit out, you know? Yep. 
And um, a couple other interesting points here. This is a kind of famous line. Time and space died yesterday. We already live in the absolute, for we have already created the omnipresent eternal speed, which is, you know, a commentary about what is happening and reckoning with the changes that are going on in the world. Um, and how Meaning much- we've already we've already made this omnipresent eternal speed. Therefore, why why slow down? Am, am I yeah. interpreting that correctly? Yeah, like modernity is is happening and happened. Like everything is different now, um, and we can't go back. And, mm-hmm. and embracing that, basically. Um, here's one that's going to be a callback. We will glorify war, the only true hygiene of world militarism, the only true hygiene. Interesting. Uh, patriotism, the destructive gesture of anarchists, the beautiful ideas which kill, and the scorn of women. Um, Whoa. <laughs> and 10. Uh, so this is interesting. Remember, this is in Italy. We will destroy museums, libraries, and fight against moralism, feminism, and all utilitarian cowardice. Wow. That does sound very alt-right. Um, that, you <laughs> yeah. know, to to battle against both moralism and feminism, to say, like, uh, down with, with any form of um, social civil rights, but also down with um, you, you telling me that I can't, uh, you know, do anything I want. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. to me, like, you know, I, I love Nietzsche a lot and this always sounds to me like the bad reading of Nietzsche, which, mm-hmm. you know, I guess fair enough. Um, this is like the Ayn Rand version. Right. Yeah. That is exactly who just came to my mind. Right. Um, so count me in, sign me up. (laughs) Yeah. Um, a couple of other interesting points about Italy here and you know, they're coming onto the scene. This is like, uh, you know, NWA albums turning up in the suburbs in terms of the shock and, you know, which is what they were going for to be really, really shocking, um, to their conservative traditional culture. Um, it is in Italy that we hurl this overthrowing and inflammatory declaration with which we today found futurism. For we free Italy from her numberless museums, which cover her with countless cemeteries. Museums, cemeteries, identical, truly, in the sinister promiscuousness of so many objects unknown to each other. Uh, that's pretty good, actually. Cool. Pub- that's actually nice. Public dormitories where one is forever slumbering beside a hatred of unknown beings. Reciprocal ferocity of painters and sculptors murdering each other with blows of form and color in the same museum. Hmm. That's pretty tight. Like, why couldn't you just stop there? You know, like, <laughs> well, <laughs> just like that. That yes. could be enough, you know? Absolutely. And, like... It's going to be really difficult to untangle the political web here, um, like the the formations of like fascism specifically, um, and the political ideologies of time like are really lost to us today. And I don't think we're ever going to understand what was in their heads at this time. For sure. Um, uh-huh. But to point out, like uh, there was definitely a, a leftist or revolutionary side. I mean, they were all revolutionary. But um, a leftist or communist side of futurism, of hailing 
history, you know, of we are moving mm-hmm. forward, like this, this is happening, we're not looking backwards, um, we won't be restrained by, uh, like, social mores, and, I mean, explicitly, a lot of what would be described as futurist, or sorry, fascist at that time, today, to us, would, would just sound progressive, I mean, right. it's kind of messy to get into, but we can probably say a little more later that that's because for sure. that's because yeah, I keep yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it again truly was like actually this was a liberal progressive movement for real it really was right um, mm-hmm. but that also meant that it was anti-communist like it was against communism but it was actually liberal progressive um, it's just so right happens and, that, and that's you know, that happens to end up being on the same side as you know fascism. Or what that's part becomes. of that's part of having 21st century American brain is that it's it's kind of impossible to conceive of that many different permutations of of ideologies. You know, when we just have our our hyper elementary binary understanding of of political affiliation. You know, like oh, there's such a thing as a fascist leftist. Like oh, we don't we don't think about that here. Or, mm-hmm. Well. To, according to some people, we would, but um, yeah, fa- you get fascist, liberal, fascist, progressive, right, right, yeah. Um, and by the way, we, we don't have the vocabulary for it. Right. Is, is all I'm saying, and, and I probably right. don't either. And one thing we'll find out really quick is like if the idea that fascism was just conservative or traditionalist, definitely not true. I mean, it was eclectic, first of all, and part of part of that was this kind of futurist stuff, like really avant garde. Um, you know, it was not it was not just traditional. Um, so let's get a little more into art. So very quickly, Marionetti was um, joined by visual artists, composers, architects, just like spanning the whole gamut. Um, but specifically talking about visual arts, the big guys at, at this early period were Bacchioni, Cara, Russolo, Bala, Severini, um, and. Shortly after that first manifesto, they published a manifesto of painting. Um, so a couple things from this. Um, like I said, I, I think I'll, I'll focus here a little more on they had a, a lot of interesting formal, um, not innovations, I think is too much to say, but like interesting things to say in the modern art conversation, like in response to and dialogue with Cubism. Um and I, for, mm. I forgot to show you this diagram at the, at the beginning that Alfred Barr published. That's kind of a diagram of different modern paint, modern art movements. And it's, you know, it's very close to Cubism. It, it's somewhat original um, and also close to Dadaism. And mm. we can go back to it if we want to. But the gesture which we would reduce on canvas shall no longer be a fixed moment in universal dynamism. So not, not a fixed moment. It shall simply be the dynamic sensation itself made eternal. Indeed, all things move, all things run, all things are rapidly changing. The profile is never motionless before our eyes, but it constantly appears and disappears. On account of the persistency of image upon the retina, moving objects multiply themselves. Their form changes like rapid vibrations in their mad career. Thus, a running horse has not four legs, but twenty, and their movements are triangular. Um, and to the right, you can see uh, an interesting take on that of a little dachshund with blurry legs. Um, 
Any, any thoughts about that, or did, does that make sense to you? I think so. Um, it might take me a second to to totally latch onto it, but but I'm I'm understanding it for sure. Yeah, I skipped a little bit of, from the intro where they particularly kind of um, pose themselves against the Cubists. And by the way, you know, just in this typical style, very chauvinistic and boastful about we're we're done with Cubism, like we are we are superseding them. Um, but the point being of in this discussion of what are objects, how do how do we perceive them and represent them, um, mm-hmm. where there's a lot of overlap of cubism of understanding forms as broken and multi-perceptual, where you don't just see a frozen image, you're walking around it, seeing it from all sides. It's this like stream of consciousness that gets constructed into the object, right? Um, sure. And uh, the futurists are green with all of that, but then criticizing that cubism still had once solid things. It still wants an object to sit there on the page. And right. the futurists, their contention is what we want to paint is not things, but process or like movement, not, not just movement, but like the flow of reality, basically, um, which, you know, is pretty um, part of the... F- like philosophy conversation about the nature of perception and um, I think I, this would have been in the same time as like Henry Bergson of basically like what is the basic nature of reality uh, like the, the classical conception is that ultimately you have an atom in an original solid thing and things are made up of actual substances um, and they're getting at like the idea that there are no solid things. There's there's process and change um, that things move between. We, we don't have to get bogged down that. A um, couple things. Mm-hmm. So that all forms, number one, that all forms of imitation must be despised. All forms of orig- originality glorified. Which, you know, hey, that's uh, definitely an idea that's still with us. Um, mm-hmm. It's essential to re- rebel against the tyranny of terms, harmony, and good taste. Blah blah blah. This is all kind of just avant garde. Um, critics are use are <laughs> useless or harmful. Um, hold on. All subjects previously used must be swept aside in order to express our whirling life of steel or pride or fervor and speed. So part of it, is their critique of modern art up to that time is you're still painting nudes. You're still painting still lifes. You're going out to the countryside and painting flowers. And fuck that. Like, life and the future are made up of cars and machines and guns and buildings. And mm-hmm. we will we will paint that life. We'll paint the city. Which is a very interesting point. It does, you know, when you pause and think about it, does make all the modern painters coming before them seem pretty quaint you know, and, and pretty sheltered from modern life and what was actually going on outside their studio window. Sure. Sure. I, I agree with that. Um, I'm, I'm picturing Blade Runner right now. Like the futurists are, they were storyboarding for Blade Runner when they were doing this, but, Honestly, yeah. um, yeah. I mean, that's, that's a really good point. I, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that. I, I could, you could maybe kind of 
actually maybe go back to the Impressionists and, and look at the way that a few of them were depicting uh, things like the Industrial Revolution in, in Europe, um, but certainly not with the same uh, ethos behind it or the same right. thesis. You know, that it's the it's the difference between, oh, no, the world is changing, like, and and let me find a way to depict this sinister force. Right. Kind um, of fainting, and, and, fainting at right. romantically. Like, oh, oh, yeah, this romantic sort of here comes a, a big, scary uh, steam engine into the into the train station. And and we see human beings uh, diminished in that versus let's go, baby. Fire up that. Fire up my Hemi, baby. This thing's got a Hemi. Let's go. <laughs> uh, yes. Yep. And definitely, like, it just helps for clarity's sake. Like, they really are, as a as a point, and to be over-obvious, trying to express, like, a worship of, of the future um, in technology. <sighs> <laughs> Which, all right, yeah. we'll come to that. Um, mm-hmm. I think we got a, a handle on the content. I would say, like, in terms of their formal innovations... In retrospect, it's kind of like, eh, I, I think they made some interesting points within the dialogue of cubism and, and modern painting. They're definitely not, like, superseding anything. And when you look at um, futurist paintings, they look very similar to, like, cubist stuff or, or like, Duchamp, nude descending a stair. Like, it, it looks very in place with all the other movements of the 20s or, or 10s. Sure. Um, which is to say some of them are like very compelling and very interesting and I like quite a lot of it and the aesthetic is is definitely influential and, and carries through today. Um, but they weren't that different. They sit within the web of modern art. Um, but it's really the content, the, their choice of subject, which is very provocative and their ideology. Um, so let's let's just kind of finish out the, uh, the thread of their political ideology. So um, all that was kind of going on from 1910 to 1915. So within those five years, it was sort of the momentum was slowing a bit and that there was more infighting. And first of all, they were a very unified group. Like Marinetti was the leader and he was really dictating the terms. And, and um, Bacchioni too, like it was a, it was a movement with leadership. Um, but there was infighting. Things were sort of starting to fall apart, and then World War One happens. Before we get into the futurists, I wanted to share this passage from one of the Dadaists. Um, this is this was the Dadaist reaction to World War One. Uh, this is his testimony as one of the originals. We had all left our countries as a result of the war. Ball and I had come from Germany. Zara and Janko from Romania. Hans Art from France, we were agreed that the war had been contrived by the various governments for the most autocratic, sordid, and materialistic reasons. We Germans were familiar with the book Jacques, and even without it, we would have had little confidence in the decency of the German Kaiser and his generals. Ball was a conscientious objector, and I had escaped by the skin of my teeth from the pursuit of police uh, who, for their so-called patriotic purposes, were massing men in the trenches of northern France and giving them shells to eat. None of us had much appreciation for the kind of courage it takes to get shot for the idea of a nation, which is at best a cartel of pelt merchants and profiteers in leather. That's 
amazing. Damn, yeah, that's so good. Yep. I can't wait for that, uh, for Dadaism. Um, at worst, mm-hmm. a cultural association of psychopaths who, like Germans, marched off with a volume of goth in their knapsacks to skewer Frenchmen and Russians on their bayonets. That's, that killer. line is also really good. Yeah. Oh, man, that that is that is killer for sure. Um, it's Goethe, by the way. Really? Uh, no, I, I, that's what I've heard. Hmm. But the... That is another episode that we should do. Um, is it, it reminds me of a quote that I heard recently. I don't know if it's Primo Levi or somebody like that. Um, but post World War II. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, it's uh, where he says after World War II, so after like you know the Holocaust and everything. Um, the line is: We now know that um, a man can can go to bed. Uh, reading, he either says Rilke or Goethe, who are both German poets. Yeah. And in the morning, and and in the morning, go to the, um, to the camps basically, and and turn on the ovens. Totally. And like that, that's like the Nazi, um, you know, the no- Nazi contradiction, or or not even a contradiction, right. but the um, romanticism. What, what yeah, the romanticization of it is essential to it. Right. Or just even a capacity for that, that a capacity to appreciate and, and understand art does not, does not, uh, exclude you or, or prevent you from being an evil person Mm -hmm. and and from, from harming fellow man. Right. Absolutely. So I just wanted to point out that, (laughs) yeah, like the, a fever for war was sweeping Europe and in middle-class Italy, especially, but Mm -hmm. this was a... Uh, being sane was uh, a, a live option just as like communism was a real real live option a real force you know Marx is barely in the grave there's mass movements building everywhere and they're expressly international you know international solidarity against this building of nation states and empires um, and you like understand that that option's out there and, and, uh, whatever fascism is or liberalism, like they are opposed to that idea. Um, and to point out that world war one was fucking horrible, you know, fought for mm-hmm. no reason other than, you know, a grab bag for new borderlines and, and new colonial spaces and was, um, I never understood this before, but like, you know, the idea that it was, traditional militaries going up against modern technologies like machine guns and all that, you know, just marching into machine gun fire, which is Mm -hmm. true. But even more than that, it was like this 19th century mindset of romantic, a romantic idea of honor and, you know, duty to country Mm -hmm. uh, marching like straight into barbed wire and machine gun and that specifically like you have a, a a decadent and like totally decayed aristocracy who makes like the officer class who just orders wave after wave of grunts to go up a hill and get mowed down and there's just like no tactical sense in it there's n- they're not even concerned about winning they're just concerned about like this idea of valor um so it's like romantic 19th century ideas coming into conflict with the machinery of 20th century war. So unbelievably brutal. Um, and Mm -hmm. not just in retrospect, like 
it was clear from the beginning, you know, that it was a banker's war and all that. But um, right. So unfortunately, um, like I said, uh, Italy enters the war in 1950. Marinetti and his followers were very ardent supporters. Most of the supporters, anyways, or most of his followers, anyways. Marinetti, in particular, at that time, published um, explicit political manifestos. Um, was really like ardently against the Austro-Hungarian Empire and against Italy remaining neutral. Um, and you know, <laughs> there's a story of him in uh, from a balcony, Marinetti waving a flag while Bacchioni ripped up an Austrian flag and tossed it down onto the crowd. Um, and you know, they enlisted right away, or a couple of maybe Bacchioni was drafted. Um, Bacchioni was killed. Russolo was wounded, um, and then you know plenty of, of the other minor people were were killed in World War One pretty quickly. Um, Bacchioni in 1960, he was thrown from his horse during a cavalry training exercise and trampled to death. Yikes! Um, which probably indicates too being cavalry. I mean, he was a pretty upper class dude. Um, so, yeah, there's kind of we can talk about the symbolism of that. Of, getting everything that they worshipped. Um, so World War One happens, and then the interwar period, uh, futurism definitely lives on and has, a, has kind of a cushy place, I guess, in this developing world in Italy. So many of them became fascists, by which I don't mean anything nebulous. I mean they joined the party. Um, uh, Marinetti in particular founded the... He, founded a party called the Futurist Political Party in 1918 and then less than a year later merged it with Mussolini's fascist revolutionary party. Um, and so he was one of the earliest members of the Italian fascist party. And, you know, he had his quarrels, especially to the extent that Mussolini was so eclectic with what he would allow or promote within the movement. So, like, in terms of art, uh, all the traditionalism, all the classicism of you know, Italian pride, but also futurism. So obviously he was against any of that reactionary conservative stuff, but nonetheless, he you know, supported the party until he died. Uh, and actually, co- that's go ahead. Sorry to interrupt, but that actually really rings a bell for me and reminds me maybe of the only futurist um, stuff that I did see in Italy, which I remember my my teacher when I was over there. We went to the we went to the Olympic grounds, basically, um, that had retained still some architecture from you know the pre or or like around the time of Mussolini. Um, and there are these sculptures of athletes, like basically that are they're in these strident positions, you know, and sort of like um, very rounded edges but still referencing kind of a classical sculptural form, but, but they have this kind of like sort of burly bounding forth into the future aspect about them. And I remember my, my teacher, he just was like, they're just look at them. They're so fascist. And I was just like, what, I was like, what is it? I was like, what does that even mean? <laughs> I didn't understand, but now yeah. it makes so much more sense. You know, fascist. that's funny. Um, yeah. So, uh, I, I, would, I would definitely like to talk more about the aesthetics if we have time. But um, 
And actually, so Marinetti co-wrote the first fascist manifesto in 1919. Now, if you went and read it, you'd probably be really confused. You're like, what? This is fascism? This, this to me, sounds pretty liberal. Um, and again, like, we won't be able to untangle all of that right now. Um, nonetheless, like, it's just, these are all the strands that were there and, and went into what became a fascism. And, and he was, you know, he was definitely along for the ride the whole way. Um, so, uh, yeah, we could talk about that. Like, I think it's, it's just, in, man, I don't want to get into it, but, um, especially to like the fascists at this time, sorry, futurists at this time had a pretty cushy and official place, like doing work for the party in terms mm-hmm. of propaganda, even starting back in World War One, Bacchioni was, you know, hired to do kind of propagandist work, painting battles. He only got to paint one war-related piece of art before he was killed. Um, but other futurists were doing that sort of thing of glorifying the war. And, I mean, the fact that Italy was on the winning side and was supposed to get all this stuff out of it, they suffered so badly for it and didn't didn't get, you know, the new empire that they were supposed to get is, you know, what led to World War II in part and the, and the fascists. And, like, futurism at that time definitely picked up that, like, cult of death and Bacchioni in particular as a martyr figure of, like, the glory of, the glory of war, the glory of sacrifice and, and fighting, um, and, like, basically everything that was now due to the Italian people for what they had suffered, um, for how they had valiantly fought, you know, which would, uh, they would seek an opportunity to avenge basically. Um, uh, and yeah, they, I mean, at this time they did some architecture. They certainly like conceptualized a lot more of it than actually got built, but extremely modern type stuff and really coherent, cohesive. Like it's a very Frank Lloyd Wright kind of thing where it's like down to the furniture the the designer artist is in an entire world an entire brand like a a, a whole vision for the future basically so they did furniture they did products they did like toys and clothing and that even that that way of doing things i think was definitely an innovation um that made a broader impact um so you know like I said, like they carried on up until World War II. This group is sometimes called Second Futurism, like after that first group of people before World War I. Um, I think that's pretty revisionist because, like, it, it's still the same group. Like, Marinetti is still at the head of it. Uh, they're still calling themselves futurists, doing the same things. It's just, uh, and like that title only came about in the 60s. So it makes sense that for 10 or 20 years as, say, like the anti-fascist or, or the left, whatever, in Italy is very aware of the, the legacy of fascism and the legacy of futurism, that they would not be cool with talking about futurism in a heroic way or like, you know, revisiting that history in a rosy way in any way. But by the 60s, you know, some of that history is forgotten and the communists are not as much of a threat or somewhat neutralized. And so that's when you get, a, I think, probably a little more revisionism of, hey, but this, like, 
this second group of futurists, that was not the real futurists. Like, we like the, the pre-World War I guys um, because fascism did not exist wholly at that time. Um, whereas these second group, quote-unquote, who were, you know, explicit members of the fascist party, like, they didn't really do anything that interesting. You know, at that point, it was kind of a degenerated movement. And even when you look through futurist work, like, most of it is going to be from the first five years, from 1910 to 1915. Um, that so-called second wave just doesn't get talked about as much to kind of mm. at least kind of bracket those, those early years off with some sort of purity, bracket them off from fascism, um, which, you know, fine. Um, I just don't, this, it's just kind of silly to call it first and second, but um, mm-hmm. any comments? Um, not really. That, that makes sense that uh, they've tried to kind of split it down the middle, but but you could probably say that, you know, if the circumstances were different than the first, you know, the forerunners of the of the movement would have would have embraced those things too, or maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's that. I, I guess the last thing I'd like to say about like their formal innovations, um, I, I'm very interested in those questions. I think it's really interesting to think about visualization. Um, if you think in like Renaissance. Uh, terms what they were so good at was the solidity of objects described by line contours and like uh yeah especially doing uh volume with construction like the 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 old masters were so good with turning an object over through line construction um and even like well i won't go into that but the impressionist, the real innovation of impressionists is more of an emphasis on sight so that, yeah, what you're seeing is not just a solid object here, a solid object here. You're seeing like a whole mess of a mass of colors and what they're painting is really is color masses, right? It's not as much of a line construction of distinct objects, distinct shapes. Um, mm-hmm. And then going into the modern period, there's the kind of, uh, shirk both of those and are seen like what you perceive is actually a stream of consciousness that your mind stitches together into objects kind of like in a Kantian way of you have these raw this raw data coming in and your mind does all the meat processing of putting it together and what they're kind of doing is unpacking that all that yeah well that's really interesting to me because I wouldn't necessarily have known or thought that they were the first people to confront that idea yeah in in visual art um maybe that was my understanding of cubism but i think that also i, I no, don't no, think that's I, what i'm saying yeah yeah the, okay. did i miss say that yeah the cubists primarily getting at that oh i thought you were saying the futurists were sorry i may have said that the the cubists mostly tackling that the futurists being more of um there are no objects <laughs> like there's sure there's just movement and change fluidity yeah. i mean and, and that's that's such an interesting i'm just still trying to understand how the how that idea um you know that central kind of aesthetic spiritual uh philosophy translates into 
into a fascist ideology. I don't, I just, <laughs> I think I get it. I can feel it sort of, you know, you can get that, that like kind of queasy feeling like when you hear the connection between the two and it makes sense. Um, but I still don't fully understand it. And it, and it well, reminds me, sorry, we can keep going. You go ahead. No, 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 go, go, go. No, I want to later, I think we can talk about maybe some things that this connects to, uh, today, but, but you can keep going with what you were just saying. Well, I don't, I don't think it does connect to fascism, like these formal principles. Um, sure. I think it, it's the same relation of like trying to, if you were trying to look for, uh, like the reason for fascism in the Bible or something like that, you know, because the, but because okay. Italy is a Catholic country. I understand that. That makes sense to me. Although I don't understand, maybe what I would, a way of taking a step back would be to say, I don't necessarily see how their manifesto even necessarily connects with every aspect or every aspect of the manifesto. Is it represented in the work, in the art itself? Yeah. Um, you know that I mean maybe that's a high bar to have or or a question here of whether or not the futurists were actually successful in doing what they said they were doing. And do you mean like you don't see the connection between why like I, the formal elements and the the content of the like the futurist? I, I think I get the I think I get the general yeah that's what I'm saying and maybe I'm getting too hung up on just very the specifics of it. Um, but I, I guess it's a broader question about the art of this period uh, of the art of, you know, whether it's the Dadas or the Cubists, but the Cubists, Picasso, with the exception of his later work, he was not explicitly political, mm-hmm. um, or at least he claimed he wasn't. Um, so what I wonder is, you know, how, how truly effective were any of these, these movements in doing anything other than you know, declaring what they were and, and yeah. then letting that kind of be the steam of their, of their influence. Yeah, I, I agree because I think number one, they're avant-garde. So whatever they're doing formally in pictures is just going to be like, whatever is the thing going on with avant-garde art, which is what they did. You know, it's like, okay, okay cubism is what's going on. How can we how can we make some counterpoints and some interesting interjections into that? And that explains most of what they're doing with, you know, perception and objects and some stuff like that. Whereas, and then really I do see like the political social ideology as basically tacked on or like they, they don't mm-hmm. necessarily go together other than they're both avant-garde. Um, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. I I think that I think that's what I think. Um, I buy it, yeah, for sure. So well, let, let's let that lie. Let's talk. Let's leave the, the formal art stuff aside, um, and and actually talk about like the content of their futurist ideology in terms of you know modernity, speed, technology, cars, progress, all that. Um, uh, what do you think? Uh, uh, the, I guess the first thing, let's just talk about, um, is this like, how, how would you relate this to today? 
what, what feeling do you get hearing this like fetishism uh, described a hundred years ago? Like, it, it reminds me of few of a few things, and this might speak to just like how quarantine brained I am right now in, in that it's just like I'm just watching movies and like you know um, just like kind of just screwing around um, but I, I, it made me think of Mad Max uh, to be honest which um, you know just the cars element and, and that how the, the cars in that movie function as the like the primary sort of spiritual and political object Mm -hmm. of, of that represents what the human race is and has to do, you know, in in order to survive. Um, and you know, that's really interesting to me. I'm interested in that, uh, you know, going in that direction in art. And even if you're not necessarily, well, I mean, I, I probably would say that, you know, do you really need to go off all the way off the ledge, like go all the way to the end point and say, we embrace an ideology of this in order to, to represent it, Mm -hmm. you know, like could the futurists have been as successful? And this was like, you've said before, um, a time of manifestos, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's like your manifesto has to be a declaration about what the world is and it's going to be. Yeah. Um, but it's it's something to ponder, you know, that I think is that we should do and that good art should do is, is what is a world look like that that is, um, you know, completely, completely driven by its own kind of like that is a banished all all form of of temporal peace and has just kind of embraced chaos and speed as as the new um as the new way of existing. Um, I think, I think it's, it raises really interesting questions. It's depressing. Um, and, and, you know, sad to some extent. Um, what about you? What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I definitely lean towards being a Luddite all the time. Um, right. So I'm not being fair necessarily, but I definitely have that gut reaction of, well, like check it out here's what you wanted because it is really funny that as a movement and the way they're talked about in our history and or whatever like general history is they they petered out they lost you know they were on the losing side of the war in terms of being associated with fascism um you know no one would you would have to be very careful if you were a former futurist painter walking around italy in the 50s or whatever like um Mm. so they lost in that way and they you know had to have their noses rubbed in it but at the same time like all those core ideas are were 100% successful and are so alive and well with us today in terms Mm. of a just a blind faith that things get better uh don't look back just look forward and I think it's really interesting to either think about, can I picture any of these guys living in 2020 and vice versa? Can I picture people from 2020 living in this world? And I can absolutely picture like the way, the way people, not even just gullible people, but like most people think about or hear, hear people talk about Ted talks about like AI or extending 
life or, you know, achieving immortality right. or mm-hmm. uploading your consciousness to a hard drive, like right. with so much faith that like, yeah, it's going to happen. Like we're, mm-hmm. the singularity is coming in 2030, whatever it is, or it has already passed. I don't know. Um, and like, Oh, we definitely, we're going to be living towards 200 pretty soon. And yeah, it's right. even from a leftist perspective, it's like, yeah, this is what they're doing. Like, and the rich are going to live forever and all of us are not going to have access to the technology. And I, I don't, it's so nauseating. I don't even like to research into it at all, but I'm pretty sure it's mostly just utter fucking marketing and bullshit. And I read an interesting thing about like, if we eliminated cancer, if like we cured cancer, if we cured heart disease, like some of the number top, top killers, basically the average human life expectancy would be increased by four years, something like that. Mm-hmm. Like we are not right. in the, we are not on the same, like we are nowhere in orbit of this. Um, right. Anyways. Okay. I, I see what you're saying. I wasn't quite tracking with you there. Sorry. But I mean, no, I, just I, that, I, yeah, yeah, that feeling ahead. of like, dang, we're doing good. Like, this is incredible to think about, like, Meridetti, zooming around, he's probably going 15 miles an hour, <laughs> like, right. around Milan. So, yeah. so impressed with himself. Like, we, uh-huh. we have destroyed space and time. And it's like, dude, this is not that impressive. And right. it's, it's not going to get that better. Like, cars are pretty much... Yeah, you know they they get you to the grocery store like that's what they're for, um, right? Uh, no, that's that's I was thinking about this the whole time. Like uh, even going back to the the Instagram post you you had there, but if, if he could imagine, you know what twenty twenty would look like, and just picture like picture a suburb, a, a midwestern suburb, driving to Cheesecake Factory, and <laughs> you know like you know maybe stopping over at. Um, Dairy Queen on the way home and, and you know that's what that's the future baby that's like that's it yeah and then um, that, you're, you're cruising down the road and, and just that feeling like oh I just hit another red light like that's driving right. that is driving right yeah just wanting to be out of the car is is the experience of driving yeah um, no that's that's super interesting and it, and it also makes me think of um you know, just the, the cult of the future cults of our day and the kind of um, this sort of duality of of both the thing you just described, which is the sort of naive, um, gullible optimism of we're going to be kings and gods, which in a, di- in a dialectical way is the is also driven by a sort of shadow death wish. You know, like that, that, um, the future is coming. We better embrace it. It's going to be amazing. So we have these inner, these, uh, hyperloops that are going to take us from LA to New York in in six hours. And yeah, Japan has had that for like 50 years. Right. Yeah. And (laughs) exactly. And, uh, you know, if we, if we all die along the way, like if, if, 500 people have to be sacrificed in the process of developing that technology, then so be it, you know, or like, or if we're, you know, all being subjected to, uh, overwhelming levels of, of radiation or something like that, like that's, that's what we have to 
that's the risk that we have to take and that we kind of actually want um, to be the outcome as we hurdle towards this uh, whatever grand future we have imagined for ourselves. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we're definitely... You see what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah. It's And it's just the absence of like any sort of steering wheel or uh, values of like, I don't know what to right. hope for, so I'm just hoping for for things to move on like well sure for the new thing and, and that's that's what i was gonna i was another thing i was gonna say is that the futurists have more values than the people we're describing there's more of a coherent value system yeah behind a futurist you know fascist art you know kind of ideology um and a ted talk elon musk um you know whatever whatever instacart future like that you want to imagine there's there's more of a coherent sense of why human beings should or would want to embrace yeah or even like even if it's just more of a coherent sense of like what we're moving beyond or rebelling against in that they were overcoming the strictures and uh like anchor of the church and in christian europe right and i like i said i really do love nietzsche and i love smashing the old tables and writing new tables of values like so i'm really down with all that stuff and how demanding right. you have to be and how strong you have to be to say like we have to <laughs> move on from this because it's making everybody sick um so right. I'm, I'm super down with that and and they were making a very decisive cut which is a lot more i i don't think yeah anyone in our times could understand what they're even fighting against um, right. But uh, all that to say, too, like, I do think it, it chimes extremely well with the futurists of our time in that there's, like I said, like, it'd be very hard to find the coherence in the futurists of the time and, and what they meant by fascism and how it was different, like, elements that were progressive, elements that were conservative very eclectic and muddled just like today where you know the features of our time are are liberal and progressive like and they can check so many you know progressive credential boxes and um you know put themselves on the right side of the zeitgeist while at the same time it would like this this is the more troubling thing to me is like i don't understand what they believe but i do know like that in 10 years it would morph into a, like a genocidal, um, mindset, especially if it's like, especially a Malthusian mindset that is like ready made for this situation of, oh, you have all these like, uh, Hopi, Hopi, like techno, techno wizards, like Elon Musk or Bill Gates, who on the one hand there's, they're super down with progress. Like, Hey man, we're going to space. Like this is so cool, and it's like, hey, good job, Elon. Like, nice job. Like, I, this makes me so hopeful for humanity that you shot a Tesla up into space for no reason, and that coupled with like, and y'all, we need to get serious about the environment. You know, we're we're right. we're all united on climate change, and we all know that that means there's too many people on this planet like right. we all know yep. it's a consumer problem it's overconsumption. it's all you fatties with your hamburgers and the distance you have to travel the number of years it would take to be like we need 
you know, because we're, because we're the noble ones, like we need to eradicate this lower half of the population. Like that's to me a conceivable path that would only take a couple of years, just the way it took a couple of years for a convoluted, half liberal, half conservative fascist, like confused ideology to just become militant and murderous, you know? Right. hundred percent. hundred percent. hundred percent. Um, I guess the only other thing I was going to say, like talking about this period of time, which we'll just keep coming back to this well, cause it's very interesting is it is so weird. Like I just can't imagine an art movement in 2020. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. I can't imagine manifestos being written or particularly like any painter, let's just say painters or definitely not poets, but like of that sort of traditional sort, like, uh, e- even saying like, <laughs> okay, is there, is there an art that goes with the potential fascism that we have today? Uh, I don't know. Like, is art important in that way anymore? Like, what mm-hmm. what happened there? Like, why does this world feel so foreign? That's a good question. I mean, that I think has been true for a long time now, a longer time than just this this year. Um, and and I can't necessarily speak to uh, speak to the art world necessarily, um, but you know, a lot of it. You know, maybe you could draw a correlation between you know, the kind of, um, end of, end of history, end of ideology thinking like proceeding, proceeding the end of the end of the nineties, you know, mm-hmm. um, wherein the need for, for anything of this sort, at least in the West in, in America, um, is, you know, that's, that's where the kind of mealy mouthed, uh, just sort of, I don't know what you want to call the the kind of art or media that is made, but, but, you know, just Netflix sort of dramas that, that sort of scratch some itch of, of a sort of aesthetic sensibility and a little bit of storytelling. And then that's your, that's your consumption for what qualifies or classifies as art. Um, how, how do you, how does any artist, um, make any sort of ripple in that, in that world? I don't know. Um, but that was that was a tangent. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, yeah, and I, I guess to put a bow on it, I guess in every episode, um, I'm not all down on the futurists. I would say their connection to fascism is undisputable. It's just that what fascism is is extremely complicated. And if you think it's as easy as saying like, "Oh, Trump is a fascist," well, yeah, you're really not getting it. Um, right. I mean, I, I think we can say pretty co- comprehensively or conclusively that manifestos rock. Yeah. Like we need more manifestos and, and just reading some, like, can you, the audacity of writing something like that and just saying like me and my five friends, are like, <laughs> <laughs> we're renting a, we're renting a, an apartment together. Um, <laughs> we're all, tw- we're all 25. Yeah. This probably does. This probably does happen in certain parts of the country, but, but it doesn't get much further than somebody's Tumblr most of the time. Yeah. Um, but just the audacity of that and saying like, we, we know it yeah. and we're going to put it, we're going to, we're going to s- express it and we're going to lead the way, yeah. you know, like we know, we know what is going to happen and what we need to do. 
Um, totally. it's, it's pretty amazing. Totally. Yeah. And so much of art history or like all history really does come down to like the pathologies of 25 year old males. And you know what guys, like we get it and it's okay. Like we, you'll be forgiven as long as you don't murder too many people. Like don't join a caliphate. Um, just try and muddle through. Um, but I, I com- completely get it. And, uh, people are as plastic as wax. Um, uh, and, but yeah, I totally agree. Like take, taking away, like I really do feel a sense of longing or nostalgia. Of, I love the audacity, the writing manifestos, like the loftiness of it, the audaciousness of the futurists. Um, I, I do. Re- I think they have a great aesthetic and really interesting formal observations, and they're mm-hmm. you know they're a very nice uh, pillar in modern art. Um, uh, I would say, yeah. In retrospect, it, it's it mostly just comes to sound to like, look, guys, just just settle the fuck down, like, <laughs> right, <laughs> which is fine. Um, and I mean, you could you could have said that for the whole for the whole continent. Yeah. At the same time, though, like right. it's just impossible to to fathom the the fervor yeah. of everything. To fathom the further fervor. Yep. Uh, you know, uh, if uh, I don't know, if people just went to college, or I don't. This isn't the right solution. That's that would be too much of a hot house. But they pe- people at this age just need some good work to do like go work on a farm for these 10 years and like sort out sort all your aggression and then you'll come in come into the world just much more chill after that and you avoid a lot of bloodshed totally come to magic camp um yes we'll teach we'll give you a good a good steady diet of manual labor and then throwing you you know a little soft soft peddling of of leftist Aesthetic ideology. Okay, I was gonna play up the the magic metaphor, like you said, you know. Oh yeah, that too. We'll teach you some magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing is, I don't know anything about magic. Well, we'll we'll figure that out later. Yeah. Well, you know, we promise you, you'll kill a lot of rabbits. Definitely. Well, good app. That was fun. Yeah, man, for sure. Cool. Um, what do what do anything uh, anything on the horizon that you wanna? Well, I'm really, sure. I'm really psyched about getting into Dadaism. That'll mm-hmm. be super fun. And then probably we'll take a little break from this time period and, and try something else. A- anything right. on your mind? Um, I don't know. I'm not, not, not especially. I, I think there are a couple of essays that have I've read over the last few weeks that could be interesting. Um, and maybe just kind of like focusing in particular on... Uh, going a little more theoretical and a little more critical, um, and looking at, you know, art criticism, if that, if that sounds at all appealing and like just how, you know, kind of jumping off of certain, certain points that Berger makes and, and, um, you know, different ways that people have thought about and wrote about art, um, and see if there's something that's salient there. That sounds good. Mm Mm-hmm. But I, I would accompany it with um, probably some other other artists for sure. Okay, cool. And we'll uh, I think yeah keep keep we'll keep trying to exhaust the well of traditional artists before we have to sure look at more contemporary forms. 
much as we mm-hmm. might want to talk about Lugans and stuff, let's, uh, yeah. For sure. Um, For sure. Well, thanks. Thanks, campers. Uh, we're going to, everyone get tucked into their bunks now, and I'm turning off the lights, and I swear to God, if you make fart noises for an hour, I'm going to flip out. Um, and I'm sleeping by the door, so you, you can't get out, and you can't walk over me and go to the girls' cabin to do magic tricks. Yep, and by the way, um, Ben, you're not getting paid for this, by the way, like... <laughs> It's it's strictly, um, you know, you're you're being co- you're getting ro- room and board obviously for being a counselor, but beyond that, we, we can't do much um, in terms of compensation. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, thanks thanks everybody, and we'll see you next week after school. Later, Paul. See you later. See ya. Take it easy.